Hey there, it is Nathan Agin with The Working Actor's Journey and hope you're doing well today. We have a special episode. I've gone back into the vault and this is one of the final scene presentations from one of our virtual workshops. Now, the reason I'm bringing it out today is because we've opened up registration for the virtual Shakespeare workshops, again, called The Working Actor's Shakespeare. We opened up registration Monday, December 28th, and through January 6th, there is early bird discount pricing. Uh, we have four different levels that you can join at. Uh, you can be an actor in the scene, uh, you know, just a total immersion. Uh, you work with professionals. You get uh, a session with a dramaturg and with a voice coach. Um, you get unlimited access to all the rehearsals and text voice sessions we're doing. Uh, we're going to do Q&As over the workshop. We, even we added a private community access with Zoom calls and an online group to connect with other artists. Um, but uh, like I said, there's three other ways. You can just do private coaching, or if you just want to sit in on everything, but you also want to work on a piece of material, uh, you can choose an acting coach, a voice coach, or a dramaturg, uh, or you can just do unlimited access to sit in on everything. Maybe you just you know want to observe, and, and that's where you're at, and that's fine. And we've even added a new level called the drop-in. So for the first rehearsal, uh, you can just sit in. You don't have to commit to anything more. You can just do it. It's super, super low pricing. And the important thing to note is that all of the stuff we're doing, all the rehearsals are going to be on a limited time replay. You'll have about seven days to watch anything back. So even if you can't make something live, you can always go back into the library and check it out uh, and review it and then watch it for the next uh, you know, re upcoming rehearsal. The final scene presentations will be recorded and made available longer term, but all of the other rehearsals will be available to anyone that, that has that unlimited access. So anything above the drop-in level, you'll have access to all the rehearsals and all the replays. For the drop-in, you will have access for that first uh, rehearsal. And yeah, so those are, those are the options we have right now. Uh, and, uh, again, the early bird pricing is going until Wednesday, January 6th. And you can sign up at workingactorsjourney.com slash virtual dash workshops. Uh, you can find out all the information and more, you know, all the things we're doing, see the pricing, see the options, uh, and find out exactly what will work for you. Now, today in the final scene presentation, I wanted to share this uh, for a couple reasons. A, it is just such great work, uh, and I, I think, you know, even if you don't attend a workshop and, you know, don't sit in on anything, I think there's still a lot to be learned from what we cover in this uh, scene presentation. Uh, and two, I do want to give you an insight of what kind of work you can accomplish or what you would observe in an ongoing basis if you are part of the workshops. So today we have uh, Clarence's Dream and Murder from Richard III, and we have Jeffrey Wade directing, uh, Gideon Rappaport is the dramaturg, Peter Van Norden plays Clarence, uh, Aubrey Savarino plays Murderer Number 1, and Daniel Cordova plays Murderer Number 2. This was from a previous workshop session we did. Uh, again, fantastic, fantastic work by all involved. Uh, and so, yeah, you, you know, I just hope that this is enjoyable and informative to you. And uh, if you want to get more involved, again, go to workingactorsjourney.com slash virtual dash workshops. Uh, it's also in the menu in the navigation, and uh, you'll see how you can get involved. We start, I don't think I've mentioned that yet, 
We start the next round January 18th, uh, and it goes through February 12th. Got some great, great people involved. Um, uh, James Newcomb, who uh, you know is one of the directors. Jeffrey Wade is back as a director. Gigi Birmingham is a director. Uh, you know, uh, James, for example, has worked at you know Oregon Shakespeare, Utah Shakespeare, Chicago Shakespeare, Shakespeare Santa Cruz. Just done a lot, a lot of stuff. So, and we have some just fantastic people. You can see all the people involved and all the things you can do. So, with that. I hope you enjoy this look at Clarence's Dream and Murder from Richard III, and hope you'll consider joining us for the next virtual workshops for the Working Actors Shakespeare starting on January 18th. Okay, it is about uh, five after, so hopefully uh, all the uh, latecomers have arrived. Um, and uh, we can kind of get started here. So uh, again, hello and welcome to our scene presentation for August. Uh, my name is Nathan Agan. I'm an actor and host of The Working Actor's Journey, which began as a podcast with in-depth conversations with lifelong actors. And this year we have branched out into online readings and now workshops. Uh, we do plan to hold another series of workshops and we'll be sure to let you all know when that's happening next. Uh, now, I'm very excited we can share this scene tonight from Richard III, Clarence's Dream and Murder, Act 1, Scene 4. Uh, what you see tonight is the culmination of work over the past month. Uh, it's a bit of a peek inside the rehearsal room. It's a, it's a final presentation of sorts, uh, and the participants may use this time to try something different or experiment. Uh, I'll introduce everyone briefly and then turn it over to the group. So if, uh, if all the artists could uh, come back on camera just uh, very briefly all right let me okay okay uh and let's see here okay just getting everything lined up perfect uh so uh we have two acting veterans uh here with us tonight uh jeffrey wade our director and playing the keeper uh and uh peter van norden playing clarence both have extensive theater film and tv credits uh, they've both done shows on and off Broadway. Uh, Jeffrey has also done national tours and is part of the Harry Potter show in San Francisco when things can start back up. Uh, and Peter has worked at several major theaters in Southern California, working with multiple genres, authors, and styles. Uh, as first murderer, we have Aubrey Saverino, a graduate of the Old Globe USD MFA program, who has worked across the country in classical plays. And as second murderer, Daniel Cordova, a SoCal-based actor who has worked at South Coast Rep and with the UK-based group, The Show Must Go Online. Uh, the dramaturg for our workshop is Gideon Rappaport, uh, a San Diego teacher and author of the forthcoming book, A Shakespeare Companion for Students. Thank you all, uh, all of you artists, for being part of this. Uh, and Gideon, I will turn it over to you to share a bit about the play. Okay, thank you. Um, I'm just going to say a few words about where we are in the play. We are looking at Act 1, Scene 4. Uh, Richard III begins at the end of the Wars of the Roses, and it has devolved into wars between the House of Lancaster and the House of York. At the beginning of this play, the Lancastrian kings, uh, Henry VI and his son, the heir, uh, have been murdered by the York brothers. They are three brothers. The eldest is Edward. He is now the king. His next brother is Clarence, and Clarence has a history of betrayals. Clarence was for his brothers, and then he went against them, and he promised to fight for the Lancastrian kings, and then in the end, 
he turned against them and helped kill them. Uh, and the youngest brother is Richard, uh, famously hunchbacked and evil-willed. And he's decided he wants to be king. To do that, he's going to kill everybody between himself and the crown. And that includes his brother, Clarence, whom he has arranged to be put into the tower and to be killed there. Um, we are going to have a short cut in the scene uh, between line 76 and line 98, where um, normally the character of Brackenbury would appear, but we've cut that out. And so there will be a just a skip to uh, the scene where after, after we hear about Clarence's dream, um, the scene where the murderers come in. Um, so that's the basic information. This play will form the end of the Wars of the Roses. And at its end, Henry VII will come to power. And he's the grandfather of Queen Elizabeth, who was the queen when Shakespeare was writing the play. So now our presentation of Richard III, Act One, Scene Four. Why looks your grace so heavily today? Oh, I have passed a miserable night, so full of fearful dreams of ugly sights, that as I am a Christian faithful man, I would not spend another such a night, though to buy a world of happy days, so full of dismal terror was the time. What was your dream, my lord? I pray you, tell me. Methought that I had broken from the tower and was embarked to cross to Burgundy, and in my company, my brother Gloucester, who from my cabin tempted me to walk upon the hatches. Thence we looked toward England and sighted up a thousand heavy times during the wars of York and Lancaster that had befallen us. As we paced along upon the giddy footing of the hatches, methought that Gloucester stumbled and in falling struck me that thought to stay him overboard into the tumbling billows of the main. Oh, Lord, methought, what pain it was to drown. What dreadful noise of waters in my ears. What sights of ugly death within my eyes. Methought, I thought I saw a thousand fearful racks. A thousand men that fishes gnawed upon. Wedges of gold, great anchors, heaps of pearl, inestimable stones, unvalued jewels, all scattered in the bottom of the sea. Some lay in dead men's skulls, and in the holes where eyes did once inhabit, there were crept, as twere in scorn of eyes, reflecting gems that wooed the slimy bottom of the deep and mocked the dead bones that lay scattered by. Had you such leisure in the time of death to gaze upon these secrets of the deep? Methought I had, and often did I strive to yield the ghost, but still the envious flood stopped in my soul and would not let it forth to find the empty, vast, and wandering air, but smothered it within my panting bulk, who almost burst to belch it in the sea. Awaked you not in this sore agony? No. No, my dream was lengthened after life. Mm. Oh, then began the tempest to my soul. I passed to me thought the melancholy flood with that sour ferryman which poets write of unto the kingdom of perpetual night. 
The first that there did greet my stranger soul was my great father-in-law, renowned Warwick, who spake aloud, What scourge for perjury can this dark monarchy afford false Clarence? And so he vanished. Then came wandering by a shadow like an angel with bright hair that dabbled in blood, and he shrieked out aloud, Clarence has come! False, fleeting, perjured Clarence that stabbed me in the field by Tewkesbury! Seize on him, furies! Take him unto torment! With that, methought a legion of foul fiends environed me and Howled in mine ears such hideous cries that with the very noise I trembling waked and for a season after could not believe but that I was in hell. Such terrible impression made my dream. No marvel, Lord, though it affrighted you. I am afraid, methinks, to hear you tell it. Uh, keeper, keeper, I have done these things that now give evidence against my soul for Edward's sake, and see how he requites me. Oh, God, if my deep prayers cannot appease thee, but thou wilt be avenged on my misdeeds, yet execute thy wrath in me alone. Oh, spare my guiltless wife and my poor children. Keeper, I pray thee, sit by me a while. My soul is heavy, and I fain would sleep. I will, my lord. God give your grace good rest. What, shall I stab him as he sleeps? No, I'll say twas done cowardly when he wakes. Why, he shall never wake until the great judgment day. Why, then he'll say we stabbed him sleeping. The urging of that word judgment hath bred a kind of remorse in me. What? Art thou afraid? Not to kill him, having a warrant, but to be damned for killing him, from the which no warrant can defend me. I thought thou hadst been resolute. So I am. To let him live. I'll back to the Duke of Gloucester and tell him so. I prithee, stay a little. I hope this passionate humor of mine will change. It was wont to hold me, but while one tells twenty... How dost thou feel thyself now? A some certain dregs of conscience are yet within me. Remember thy reward when the deed's done. <laughs> he dies. I had forgot the reward. Where's thy conscience now? In the Duke of Gloucester's purse. When he opens his purse to give us our reward, thy conscience flies out. Tis no matter. Let it go. There's few or none will entertain it. What if it come to thee again? I'll not meddle with it. It makes a man a coward. A man cannot steal, but it accuses him. A man cannot swear, but it checks him. A man cannot lie with his neighbor's wife, but it detects him. It is a flushing, blushing, shamefaced spirit that mutinies in a man's bosom. It makes uh, obstacles. It fills a man full of obstacles. It made me once restore a purse of gold that by chance I found. It beggars every man that keeps it. It is turned out of 
towns and cities for a dangerous thing. And every man that means to live well endeavors to trust to himself and live without it. Ah, Zunes, tis even now at my elbow persuading me not to kill the duke. Take the devil in thy mind and believe him not. He would insinuate with thee but to make thee sigh. I am strong-framed. He cannot prevail with me. Spoke like a tall man that respects thy reputation. Come, shall we fall to work? Take him on the costard with the hilts of thy sword, and then throw him into the malmsey butt in the next room. Oh, excellent device, and make a sop of him. Soft, he wakes. Strike! No, we'll reason with him. Where are thou, keeper? Give me a cup of wine. You shall have wine enough, my lord, anon. In God's name, what art thou? A man, as you are. But not as I am royal. Nor you, as we are, loyal. Thy voice is thunder, but thy looks are humble. My voice is now the king's. My looks my own. How darkly and how deadly dost thou speak. Your eyes do menace me. Why look you pale? Who sent you hither? Wherefore do you come? To... 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 To murder me? I... I... You scarcely have the heart to tell me so, and therefore cannot have the heart to do it. Wherein, my friends, have I offended you? Offended us? You have not, but the king. I shall be reconciled to him again. Never, my lord. Therefore, prepare to die. Are you drawn forth among a world of men to slay the innocent? What is my offense? Where is the evidence that doth accuse me? What lawful quest have given their verdict up upon the frowning judge? Or who pronounced the bitter sentence of poor Clarence death before I be convict by course of law? Threaten me with death is most unlawful. I charge you as you hope to have redemption by Christ's dear blood shed for our grievous sins that you depart and lay no hands on me. The deed you undertake is damnable. What we will do, we do upon command. And he that hath commanded is our king. Erroneous vassals. The great king of kings hath in the table of his law commanded thou shalt do no murder. Will you then spurn at his edict and fulfill a man's? Take heed. For he holds vengeance in his hand to hurl upon the heads that break his law. And that same vengeance doth he hurl on thee for forswearing and for murder too. Thou didst receive the sacrament to fight in quarrel of the house of Lancaster. And like a traitor to the name of God, didst break that vow and with thy treacherous blade unripsed the bowels of thy sovereign son. Whom thou wast sworn to cherish and defend. How canst thou urge God's dreadful law to us when thou hast broke it in such dear degree? Alas, for whose sake did I that ill deed? For Edward, for my brother, for his sake. He sends you not to murder me for this, for in that sin he is as deep as I. If God will be avenged for the deed, oh, know you yet he doth it publicly. Take not the quarrel from his powerful arm. He needs no 
indirect or lawless course to cut off those that have offended him. Who made thee then a bloody minister when gallant, springing, brave Plantagenet, that princely novice, was struck dead by thee? My brother's love, the devil, and my rage. Thy brother's love, our duty, and thy faults provoke us hither now to slaughter thee. If you do love my brother, hate not me. I am his brother, and I love him well. If you are hired for need, go back again. I will send you to my brother Gloucester, who shall reward you better for my life than Edward will for tidings of my death. You are deceived. Your brother Gloucester hates you. Oh, no. He loves me and he holds me dear. Go you to him from me. Aye, so we will. Tell him when that our princely father York blessed his three sons with his victorious arm, he little thought of this divided friendship. Bid Gloucester think of this, and he will weep. Aye, millstones, as he lessened us to weep. Or do not slander him, for he is kind. Right, as snow in harvest. Come, you deceive yourself. Tis he that sends us to destroy you here. It cannot be. For he bewept my fortune and hugged me in his arms and swore with sobs that he would labor for my delivery. Why, so he doth, when he delivers you from this earth's thraldom to the joys of heaven. Make peace with God, for you must die, my lord. Have you that holy feeling in your souls to counsel me to make my peace with God? And are you yet to your own souls so blind that you will war with God by murdering me? Oh, sirs, consider. They that set you on to do this deed will hate you for this deed. What shall we do? Relent and save your souls. Relent? No, tis cowardly and womanish. Not to relent is beastly, savage, devilish. Which of you, if you were a prince's son being pent from liberty as I am now, if two such murderers as yourselves came to you, would not entreat for life? Aye, you would beg were you in my distress. My friend, I spy some pity in thy looks. Oh, if thine eye be not a flatterer, come thou on my side and entreat for me. A begging prince, what beggar pities not? Look behind you, my lord. Take that, oh. and that. Oh. If all this will not do, I'll drown you in the momsy butt within. Oh. A bloody deed and desperately dispatched. How fain like Pilot would I wash my hands of this most grievous murder. How now? What meanst thou that thou helpst me not? By heavens, the duke shall know how slack you have been. I would he knew that I had saved his brother. Take thou the fee, and tell him what I say, for I repent me that the duke is slain. So do not I. Go, coward as thou art. I'll go hide the body in some hole till that the duke give order for his burial. And when I have my mead, I will away. For this will out, and then I must not stay. Come back, little Sheba, come back. There we go. Am I unmuted yet? Yes. Hello, hello, we're all back. Where's the lovely Peter? There you are. Nicely done, you guys. Very nicely done. 
Um, uh, I am. Um, I'm just. I'm. I'm delighted. Uh, so, although it's weird, there the invisible people watching us. Let, let me ask you. Uh, first of all, I thought, and I think Gideon agrees. I, I I thought it went well, even with the usual typical sort of minor stumbles over to you know find your script and stuff. Please don't worry about that stuff. It, it didn't show. It was. Um, it was really good. It was a great distillation of all these things we'd been working on, uh, which I'm just going to mention so that people, again, in the audience there, um, we, we worked on, uh, we've gone through this piece extremely slowly a couple of times, giving everyone a chance to do a lot of um, investigating about what's going on before uh, she or he said their line um, and, and kind of work through their lines you know, working out every particular uh, nuance and what was going on. Uh, and then uh, towards the end, we sort of telescoped that or collapsed it. And I think we're able, uh, certainly before and, and this time, to move through it at a, at a quite reasonable pace um, without, uh, without belaboring it. And I'll be interested to hear what uh, some of our observers have, might have to say about how well uh, they could follow it or not if they had problems. Um, because I know uh, I and certainly all of us as actors, we're always wondering if we're making the point, if, if we're getting the point across. Um, and I and I think Gideon will agree with me. Uh, think that uh, certainly in this case, but often uh, certainly with Shakespeare, but usually the author does most of the heavy lifting for you. And if you will trust her or him, um, uh, do the actor's work. But you don't have to rewrite the thing for the author, as it were. So we worked on... Especially uh, for this author. Especially for this author, exactly. Um, so we worked on things like pace. We certainly went through and made sure we knew what we were saying in um, uh, some of these expressions. It's not a particularly um, difficult or uh, verbally naughty scene, but uh, there are things that uh, needed clearing up, and I think those came out very clearly. We worked on uh, scansion and stress. Um, uh, sometimes there's a, um, a bit of a fielder's choice, you know, with how you want to work at what words you want to stress. Um, so we, we touched on a little bit of everything. Uh, so I'm going to stop talking for a second and um, ask you guys, uh, Gideon included, um, how you felt about it, how you thought it went. I know it's always difficult for an actor because you're not supposed to be thinking about how it's going as you do it. But give us something to talk about now. <laughs> <laughs> Aubrey, you want to start? Why don't you start? Sure, sure. Um, I mean, I think, first of all, you can't ignore the fact that we're working in this strange medium uh, mm. because this is what's afforded to us. So inevitably, there are things as an actor you miss, like being in the room with people. Um, but at the same time, I think what's exciting about Shakespeare is that it's so much meant to be heard and listened to. Um, and so there's a lot of it that does work in in Zoom because it's about the language anyway. Um and it does feel like once you've done the work and taken the time and unpacked it and looked at the language really closely that you are jumping on a train that just moves um, once it begins. And you have to kind of trust that you've done done the work already. Um, and then it just seems to fly. So and obviously, like working with with these um, fine folks, uh, it, it's, it's easy to, to feel that, you know, just, passing the torch off. Um, Daniel, you're sort of the next on my screen. 
how, how do you think in general you enjoyed working on it or not? And yeah. um, I mean, feel free because it, it feels great. It's, it's stretching muscles that, that haven't been stretched for a while. So it feels really good. Um, and, you know, as I've said, it's awkward doing it in Zoom, but it is nice to be able to, to do it with live partners, even though they're on on computer, but, you know, um, so that you can actually hear the words being spoken by your partner. And it, it really um, uh, informs how you respond and, and, and the words that, you know, the, the emphasis that you put on words as you respond to them. Um, just hearing somebody else say the words makes such a big difference than, you know, than reading it off of the page. Hmm. Peter, how did you, how'd you feel about what, what we just did? Any thoughts one way or the other? Um, well, I mean, it's, uh, it's always been a favorite scene of mine. So it's kind of uh, a pleasure to get to do it. <clears throat> even in this strange Hollywood square boxes, <laughs> um, which, which, uh, as Aubrey says, it, it it makes you put the concentration on the words, on the language, and on the clarity of the language, um, which we worked on considerably, you know. And 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 there's a lot to be learned from that before you would get on your feet and try to move around and do this murder scene, you know. Um, so it's really kind of um, kind of a pleasure to have that that time to just work the language, pretty much. And and the, the the thoughts, you know, and how they come and the different ways of presenting them, the different speeds of presenting them. Mm. Uh, the Clarence, uh, I said from the very beginning, Clarence speaks in very long thoughts. Um, and it's really nice to be able to work on that um, and try to get, try to sort of, sort of uh, come to come to terms with that. Um, so, so that's been, it's been fun. And working with these two guys has been great. Good. Uh, Gideon, you want to say anything? Well, I'm very happy to hear Peter say this because I'm always lobbying for a little more table work before we get <laughs> Shakespeare on his feet. Um, and we got to do that this time. I I also want to say what a pleasure it is to work with such good actors because you take the notes and then you run with it. And I thought, I, I thought all of you did that. Um, the notes that Jeffrey gave last week when we worked on this to Aubrey about the murderer, the first murderer and to Daniel about relaxing into the part um, and to Peter and about varying the, you took all those notes and you took my verbal notes and it, it just, it just got better and better. And today I thought it was really tough. I did take about uh, eight or 10 specific <laughs> word notes, but Very I'll good. only give those to you if you want them. But um, I, I thought it was a, I thought it was really effective and you used the camera really well so that I, I, to me, it, it came across quite well. Yes. Uh, kudos for that. Uh, all, all of you, because uh, that was not something we really worked on at all, but you obviously all have a, a natural inclination for it. Uh, and we, we literally didn't work it at all, but it, it was um, terrific the way you used the camera, that, that, that part of it. Um, why don't you give the notes? And then I actually, um, again, because there are people watching and it might be kind of fun, there's one, one of two sections that I want to just re go over again. Not because they were wrong, you guys, just to show perhaps how things can be approached differently. 
Okay, go ahead. So I'm going to nitpick a little bit. Uh, Aubrey, 116, um, resolute rather than resolute. Okay. Um, Daniel, 146. I'm talking line numbers now for people who are watching. Mm -hmm. um, um, it beggars any man that keeps it. It's turned out of towns and cities for a dangerous thing and every man that means to live. So you, the, you used every in both. But the first one's any man and then every man. Got it. And you can just remember it because it's in alphabetical order. Um, also, I mean, that's, that's a, a, a great example of a, of a um, oh Christ, of an antithesis, right? The difference between any and every. Yeah. So you're right. It's really important that they be different. Yeah. Um, uh, 155, uh, Daniel, you, you hit the pronoun me instead of the verb prevail. So I want you to think about that, whether, whether it's stronger to hit prevail in that line than the pronoun. Um, Peter, 167. Um, oh, you said, where are thou, keeper? And it's where art thou keeper? That's just English grammar from the Renaissance. Just um, I was just waking you? up, you know. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> where are all of you, keeper? Um, line one ninety one. Um, uh, Peter, you said, um, "What did you say unto the frowning judge?" I think your problem was was unto. I think that wasn't clear. What lawful quest have given their verdict up unto? Unto the frowning judge. I think you said to or something like that. Okay. It just the unto wasn't clear. Um, Daniel line 208. Um, you left out false for false for swearing. Thank you. And you've got three, you've got four F's in that line. Yeah. Which Shakespeare's doing on purpose. So you can play with those F's. For false, for swearing, and for... In fact, there are three fours. For, for swear, and for murder. Do you see that? Yeah. And then false is the modifier. So you just... It, it's, uh, it's there for a reason. Um, line 210, Lancaster. Yeah. I don't have to say more than that. Yeah. Um, line 255, whose is that? This is the last one. Peter, um, oh, you said that he would labor. You added for my delivery, yeah, but it, I when I did it, yeah, yeah, okay, great. That's it, guys. It was really good. It's an interesting thing um, uh, again for the people who are listening. When you're doing this kind of verse, and this that this part of the scene, you know, the bulk of the scene is in verse. Um, Peter said he, he he realized he'd done that the second he did it because. Peter could internally feel the rhythm going a little off, right? It's, it's, yep. it's a, it's a great thing. You know, you, the, all this Shakespeare stuff looks intimidating, but often the ver the rhythm and the verse of it um, helps you. It helps you learn lines because you learn a rhythm as well as actual words. Um, and you learn stresses very often. If you pay attention yeah. to the, to the uh, I am. It actually either. helps give you readings. Um, because you were in the middle of giving a, a note there, I just wanted to note again for the people who are listening on this 
Clarence speech that starts, are you drawn forth among a world of men to slay the innocent? What is my offense? Where is the evidence that doth accuse me? That was a, a something that um, we looked at early on and made sure that we knew that um, um, Clarence is actually asking questions. Again, it's easy, I think often in, in drama, but certainly in Shakespeare or somebody when you're presented with what seems to be a long speech, to make your questions rhetorical instead of actual questions. Um, and uh, again, you know, sort of does the work for you. That's your objective right there is to find out who these people are. What's, it's as simple as that. You know, you don't know you're about to be murdered yet. Um, so um, again, for the people listening, uh, question marks, I always say in Shakespeare are your friend. They're, use them as question marks, not assumptions. Um, and, and I'm just, I thought Peter did it exquisitely. I just wanted to point out that that was something we we had worked on. Um, I would uh, I would like again just for um, just for the fun of it and because we can, I would like to just go through uh, that sequence from when um, when Clarence wakes up, and it's a lot of second second murderer stuff, right? And uh, Dan, my note to you is is again to look for the the person that's just within you. Don't feel you have to apply any sort of again. It's a temptation when you know we're doing a presentation, so I'm going to do just just remember that you are sufficient unto yourself. You're a big guy. You're strong. I mean, you look like you could be the second murderer. So don't feel you have to do anything more than what you are. Um, and his, his hesitation, his lack of true conviction about what he's doing. Again, you don't have to, you don't have to put a lot of decorative frosting on that. It's in the words, right? And it's in your mind. I know it's in your mind. So you don't have to show me what's in your mind. These are again for everybody, for you in particular. Everyone is listening. These are, these are, um, these are sort of minor things. We're sort of buffing up with, you know, quadruple zero steel wool at this point. But um, let's let's try it that way. And um, uh, let's start with. Um, Let's let's go from the second murderer's line. Soft he wakes. First murderer strike. No, we'll reason with him. Does do you guys all see where we are? Uh, I'm going to take myself off. Just give yourself a, a second or two to reinsert yourself in the world of what we're doing, and then start. Soft he wakes. No, we'll reason with him. Where art thou, keeper? Give me a cup of wine. You shall have wine enough, my lord, anon. In God's name, what art thou? A man, as you are. But not as I am royal. Nor you as we are, loyal. My voice is thunder, but thy looks are humble. My voice is now the king's. My looks mine own. How darkly and how deadly dost thou speak. Your eyes do menace me. Why look you pale? 
Who sent you hither? Wherefore do you come? To, 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 to murder me? I. I. You scarcely have the heart to tell me so, and therefore cannot have the heart to do it. Wherein, my friends, have I offended you? Offended us you have not, but the king. I shall be reconciled to him again. Never, my lord. Therefore, prepare to die. Are you drawn forth among a world of men to slay the innocent? What is my offense? Where is the evidence that doth accuse me? What lawful quest have given their verdict up unto the frowning judge? Or who pronounced the bitter sentence of poor Clarence's death before I be convicted by course of law? To threaten me with death is most unlawful. I charge you, as you hope to have redemption by Christ's dear blood shed for our grievous sins, that you depart and lay no hands upon me. The deed you undertake is damnable. What we will do, we do upon command. And he that hath commanded is our king. Erroneous vassals, the great king of kings, hath in the table of his laws commanded that thou shalt do no murder. Will you then spurn his edict and fulfill a man's? Take heed, for he holds vengeance in his hand to hurl upon the heads that break his law. And that same vengeance doth he hurl on thee for false forswearing and for murder too. Thou didst receive the sacrament to fight in quarrel of the house of Lancaster. And, like a traitor to the name of God, didst break that vow, and with thy treacherous blade unripsed the bowels of thy sovereign son. Whom thou wast sworn to cherish and defend. How canst thou urge God's dreadful law to us when thou hast broke it in such dear degree? Good, I'm going to stop you. I'll, I'll stop you. Um... That was really terrific, Daniel. Really interesting. Absolutely. Uh, the first one is perfectly valid. I found that one actually more powerful and more um, affecting uh, to me. Somehow, when, when you uh, feel less um, need to urge it on us, uh, it, it lets us in a little more. So well done all. And Peter, that your speech was... <laughs> even better than before. So uh, I agree. Uh, can I make a little note on 174? Sure. I discovered it now that in Daniel's way of saying it this time, um, Clarence says, thy voice is thunder, but thy looks are humble. So there's, a, there's an antithesis there. And the second murderer says, my voice is now the king's, my looks mine own. And I just realized why there's the same antithesis. The thunder is because he's speaking as the king. That's going to get Clarence killed. But his looks are his own and humble. And that's why he has these second thoughts as the scene progresses. So the this, this separation in, in the second murderer's line is exactly reflecting the separation in Clarence's line. Yeah. It struck me this time wonderfully. Yeah, that's interesting. And there's a, an interesting play on... Um Humble there too, because humble, of course, means not royal. That's right. But it, but it's also, it also uh, implies his uh, state of mind. Right. Um, well, that was terrific, you guys. I, I don't know if uh, is Nathan. Can you hear me? I hope you do. Um, uh, I, I, yeah, I can if, hear. Yeah. I, I think we've done enough, and we've we've 
had some notes and had a chance to even re- rework a bit so people can see what happens when there's, uh, again, the way these, these marvelous people are able to make adjustments of, of shading, much less, you know, big, big blocks, but just shading, which is wonderful and an actor. So um, I open it back to you if, the, if other people have questions or comments or anything. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Um, uh, th- there have been a few comments coming in. Um, uh, uh, Marcelo loved, uh, your stash, Jeffrey. Your, your, you have a nice stash. Um, and, and he also said that, uh, he, he said, well done. The intentions were clear. So is the language. Um, and, and I wanted to just kind of build on, um, a couple things that were mentioned. Uh, I love, I mean, there's a bit of a kid in the candy store watching this stuff. You know, as, as Gideon said, you know, you have great actors who can do their thing. Um, but I love that this gives actors an opportunity to do something that they don't normally get, which is plenty of time to work on the text. Uh, and as Gideon mentioned about working with actors, um, it is great when you have already great actors doing this. And, and I hope that, you know, these workshops can help people become even better actors and that this workshop without all the other demands of a production uh, it allows you to be able to do things like really focus on implementing the notes when you don't have to worry about, you know, the lighting, the costume, the props and all that other stuff. You can just really just tell the story. So, uh, that, that it's just really great to watch, uh, and, and see all this come through. Um, I, I wanted to kind of, uh, maybe bring up a couple things from the rehearsals that I sat in on that I thought were really fascinating. And, and I opened, you know, feedback from anyone, uh, who would like to speak. But uh, there were two items that, that stood out. One was uh, the discussion you guys had about which murderer says which lines. And obviously, that wasn't just an arbitrary discussion, but in different versions, they're, they're kind of broken up differently. And, and I thought it was just interesting how you went about figuring out, well, who, which, you know, first murderer should say this or does it make sense for second murderer, that. And then also uh, the exercise of, as you alluded to, Jeffrey, going through very slowly but that exercise where it was really slow and direct to camera, um, I, I thought that was also an interesting uh, exercise that uh, everybody worked on. And of course, in this kind of quasi theater slash film medium, um, you know, it can kind of pay dividends as well. So uh, open to, you know, uh, either uh, either item that people would like to address or talk about their experience. Well, I'll, I'll talk about the camera part. It's a, it's a um, rehearsal technique that I didn't invent. I can't remember who uh, I learned it from, but uh, I use it in in theater directing, which is that um, you're and you, you need to have gone through the script a few times. It helps to have some familiarity with it. But e- each actor in in a two hander scene, you look at the script and pick up as much of the sentence or the speech as you can, and that may be one clause, it may be a whole sentence, maybe a whole speech. But you pick it up and then you deliver those lines directly to your scene partner. And if you forget something, you look down and pick up the rest so that everything is directly here. And if you begin to forget something, you don't turn to your book and pick it up and go like that. You keep everything directly to your partner. The scene partner, the other person uh, to whom you're speaking, on the other hand, looks directly at the speaker and does not look down, does not try to pick up a cue, does not look down until, um, you know, if it's Aubrey, until she, for example, feels that the speech is over. And then she'll look down and pick up her thing and go. Uh, So that every part of every speech is delivered directly to the other person. It's very 
difficult. It's a little easier to, well, I don't know. The temptation is always to be generous to your partner and pick up the line so you're ready to go. And that's not the deal. The deal is to, it works particularly well. It was particularly helpful on this because we never get a chance, you know, even when we're doing the scene in the end, we don't even get what, what you would get normally in a, in a rehearsal and certainly in a performance, uh, a chance to look in the other actor's eyes because we're looking at the script or even if we're looking in the camera, which is what we should be doing, you can't glance down and see the person here. The eyes give you away. So uh, I found it a particularly useful and I hope the, I think the actors did, uh, rehearsal technique, but it's one that I use in theater, but it was invaluable here. Yeah. I told Jeffrey, I'm stealing it. I teach acting at Moorpark college, which obviously right now is on online on zoom. Yeah. Um, and I thought it was such a great, I mean, a great exercise probably in a regular rehearsal room, but particularly on zoom when I think people are conscious of like, where are my eyes going? And when do I get to, am I looking at myself? Am I looking at the camera? Am I looking at my scene partner? It just gave us a chance to slow down look at our scene partners, listen to each other, listen to the words and let everything else go. And that changed some of the choices that we were making because I heard something that Daniel said uh, that I wouldn't maybe have heard otherwise or something. Cause I was thinking about what I'm going to say next. So <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's just, it's great to slow down and just, I mean, it's, it's the first thing I teach in acting, right. Is just acting is listening and responding. It's just listening to each other and responding truthfully. And it's nice to take that time and, make sure that that is indeed what we're doing and not trying to be good actors by, Oh, we know Shakespeare has a certain rhythm. Oh, we better pick up our cues. Oh, we better, you know, I don't want to let there be a pause. Just can't do that until we know what we're saying, but more importantly, what the other actors are saying. Hopefully. Um, if you want, I, agree. I, think, I think a lot of the trust for the actors, I think that uh, that exercise, at least for me, um, really kind of uh, was the, when a lot of the, the emotional meaning of the lines kind of uh, made sense, started to really make sense. The, the, the literary meanings, you know, we had kind of gone through, but to understand what the person is really meaning, what, what they're feeling and, and, and how that affects me, that eye contact makes so much difference. Good. Gideon, do you want to talk about the uh, choosing of... Yes, I, I just wanted to say that the textual problem with Richard III is elaborate and challenging because the two early texts, the folio and the quarto, are both authoritative and they're very different in little ways. Um, and one of the ways we found they were different in this scene was that the the uh, lines given to second murderer are sometimes given to first in one of the texts and then to the second in the other. So Jeffrey saw this and we talked about how how we wanted to split them up. And although we were going basically from one text, we picked this uh, structure from the other text because we wanted to separate the two murderers as much as possible in terms of character. And we talked a lot about that, how we can, how we can distinguish them and make them distinct and separate, different from each other so that each has his own character. Um, and the, the picking the other text helped us do that a lot. Um, and and that just that made it more. I think it made it more interesting to work on it, but also made it more interesting to hear it when it was in in performance. 
Did anyone have any other uh, uh, further thoughts, uh, any of the actor, like for specifically Aubrey and Daniel, um, that process of, you know, working through which murderer said which line? Well, what was that like for you guys to be involved in that discussion? And as Gideon was talking about, to, you know, really try to define these characters, uh, because a lot of times as actors, you show up and the play is cut, you know, as it is and, and that kind of stuff. So what was it like to be part of that discussion? I always find it fascinating. I, I mean, I, I'm a, I'm a definitely a Shakespeare nerd and a Shakespeare lover. I think looking at different versions of Shakespeare um, and trying to decipher with some intelligence and detective work to the best of our abilities, uh, you know, what maybe they were doing then or what works now. Um, and it did make sense. I had questions about the character with the first uh, cut and I was curious. I was like, I would have had to, as an actor, be like, all right, well, it's interesting. I don't want to murder him at the top, and I do want to murder her. So, like, where do I shift and change? As opposed to the second version, which we ended up using, which was, it was clear what my character wanted from, clearer to me, what my character wanted from the get-go. So, I found that, yeah, I find that stuff really interesting. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, that that part of it where we worked through that, as you're saying, it helped to define each of our characters a little bit, which which made the rest of the rehearsals, you know, um, a, a little bit easier because we kind of knew we're not the same. And it's very easy in a play like this. Once again, not, you know, not huge roles in, in the overall scope of this play. It would be very easy to just have them be, you know, uh, very similar characters and uh, and no distinguishing characteristics between, you know, between them. Um, but the way we went through the text, and uh, I believe it was the second version that, that Jeffrey had uh, really defined the characters separately. Great, great. Um, and, uh, and I'll mention again for anyone uh, uh, watching and, and part of this, you can use the Zoom chat uh, to add any questions in. Um, Peter, uh, I would love to, uh, by the way, I'm, I'm thrilled that you finally have a chance to work on this part, work on the scene. Like that, <laughs> yeah. that, that delights me to no end that uh, we can make that happen even in these strange times. Um, and, uh, with all the roles you've done, we still, we, we find yet another that, uh, you can, uh, you can at least put a small check, uh, next to it at least. <laughs> put it um, on your resume. <laughs> but, but I'd, I'd love to hear, Peter, um, were there any challenges particular to you, like, uh, either with the, the dream speech that uh, either something that surprised you as you started to work on it? Cause I'm sure you, you knew of the scene, I imagine, and, and, and you knew its, uh, shape, but, uh, either, you know, yeah, was there something that surprised or challenged you with the dream speech? itself or in the discussion with the murderers, because one of the things that Richard tells the murderers is don't let him talk. Uh, he's going to convince you otherwise. So I, I was just curious, I wanted to hear your, uh, your take on this. I think the thing that, that both Jeffrey and I found in this, <clears throat> both in the dream sequence and in the defending your life sequence with the murderers is the constant uh, the, the constant need for a new approach to a new thought uh, that keeps the scene moving and alive. Um, so it doesn't sort of all sit on one sort of uh, emotional level. Every single excuse that he has for them not killing him, every single experience that he has in the dream sequence, in the nightmare, is a new experience. And, and uh, it, it builds on the experiences before that. And I think you have to pay attention to that because it really, really helps keep it afloat. You know, keep it, you keep people listening to it and it helps clarify the, the, 
the emotional need in Clarence, uh, which is critical in this scene. And it becomes semi-desperate by the end, I think, to, to try to save his life. Mm. So that part of it was kind of fun to explore. When do the new thoughts occur? How do you make them new? What's new about them? Um, uh, you know, how do you, how do you play that uh, effectively? Uh, that, that was kind of fun to explore. And you don't think about that when you just read the speech. You know? mm -hmm. Sure. That was, kind of, that was kind of fun. I, I want to just add to that that um, if you ever try to cut a speech, like you want to make everything shorter, you find out that those new things are, are unfolding in a direction. And if you try to skip something, it's very hard to get from one to the next. And the later in Shakespeare's career, the harder that is because it, mm. it becomes so integrated and interconnected. It's really true. So that as you're discovering each new thought, if, 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 you're, if you're trying to shorten the speech and cut something out, you think, well, I'll just go from this one to this one. But then it doesn't work. You need to get through this one before you can get to that one. And, and uh, Peter's discoveries make us realize that, that there's a, there's, there are all these new discoveries and then there's an overall shape to the argument. And, and what, uh, what I will uh, just add, and I, I suppose the people who are listening can chime in if they want, but I always find that, you know, you, you, you think, oh, I'm going to cut this speech because it's so long and it'll just bore people. But when you execute a long speech well, brilliantly, like Peter just did, it actually feels shorter than you know than if you would if you don't do it so well, but have fewer words. It's odd because you, the the listener gets carried on this journey that the listener wants to go on. They're not just listening to a recitation of uh, I did this, then I did this, and then I did this. It reminds um, me of so, Salieri in in. Uh, Amadeus saying there are too many notes, or somebody too saying about Mozart. Oh, the, I actually have to say that it's it's, the, it's 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 the Baron Orsini, whatever his name oh, is. I get <laughs> and you just think you're not listening to Mozart if you think there are too many or too few notes. You're not getting exactly. It. And exactly. the same the same is true here. Too many notes. Yeah, to echo your your point, Jeffrey. That uh, exactly right. That it doesn't feel like. You're just all of a sudden hearing this actor do a speech. You know, you haven't just suddenly been transported like, oh, this must be a, this must be his big speech. It, 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 it's that combination of the newness of the thoughts that, that yeah. keeps the audience, uh, you know, connected. And then you're just, it, it's like somebody in real life telling you a story. You don't know where they're going, but right. they just kind of keep, they're reliving this experience that they want to relate to and you're, uh, you're engaged with that. So yeah, I, I, I totally agree that it, it takes what, could be considered long and makes it feel it's that psychological time makes it feel short. Um, I just want to uh, mention a couple uh, comments. Uh, Steve mentioned that uh, we were talking about the, the murderers. He had two additions that assigned the two murderers lines differently. And the way that uh, you guys performed it tonight sounded right to him. So I think, I think there is some truth uh, to that in terms of like really figuring out if you want to go about making those two characters distinct, that, that seems to be a good, uh, good thing to explore. Um, and, uh, Marcelo added that, uh, this is a wonderful platform to rehearse and work on the text, uh, and of course present it. So, uh, you know, as, as I've said, I, hopefully, um, all the actors here have enjoyed, uh, using this medium to, to work on this and really explore this, uh, and, uh, and then use it to, uh, share their work, uh, with those, uh, elsewhere in the world. Mm -hmm. 
So, um, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll leave it open just a little bit longer for any questions. Uh, you know, I don't, we, we don't have to leave, but, um, uh, you know, if there's anything else, uh, the artists, uh, uh, director, dramaturg, actors want to say or share, but, uh, otherwise we can all, uh, wrap this up for this evening. I, I would just like to say that I don't want us to get too comfortable with this medium because I'd like to see us back on the stage <laughs> in the same space as soon as possible. <laughs> I think you're not alone there. As good as, this, as good as this is and as good as you guys have made it, um, and it's certainly been fun for me to have this time to work with you, um, I, would, I would really love to be invited onto a stage for table work and, and do the same thing and then watch it come alive on the stage. Yeah. So yeah. Let's, let's all not get too COVID-friendly uh, here. <laughs> Your lips to God's ears, my friend. Well, I I, I, I only hope that uh, perhaps this may become uh, an addendum, a, an additional tool we That's can use that. as we all go forward uh, to be able that to connect actors fun. from anywhere on the planet uh, to work on Shakespeare or other scenes or things like that. That's um, true. I agree with that. So, um, uh, all right. Well, uh, does anyone else have anything else to add? Speak now for a whole other than to say it's been a, a distinct pleasure to work with uh, all of you guys, really. What, 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 what here. a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you. Well, great, great. And Gideon. Uh, and well, so uh, again, thank you to all the artists for being part of this. And uh, thank you to all of you for joining and keeping theater alive. Uh, as I mentioned, we plan to hold more workshops in the future uh, and look forward to perhaps some of you joining us in the scenes. So uh, that's it. Thanks again very much. And we'll see you at the next night of virtual theater. So, all right. Good night, everyone. Yeah, Take care. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Thanks, guys. Good work. Hey there, it's Nathan one more time. Hope you enjoyed this look at what a workshop can be uh, from the final scene presentation of Richard III, uh, Clarence's Dream and Murder you know, listening back, even for me, I just love everything that uh, Peter and Jeffrey and Gideon and, and Aubrey and Daniel, you know, talk about and come up with and, and just hearing about their process, even though I'm an actor, too. And, you know, I've, I've studied and done a lot of this stuff. It's so fascinating for me, too, to hear what other actors go through, how they approach the character, what things have been unlocked for them, um, what things surprise them or challenge them. So, you know, for me, these workshops are like kid in the candy store because you, you get to see these great professional actors, how they work, what they're doing. So it's really, really wonderful. I hope you can join us. Again, registration is open now through January 6th, early bird pricing. The next workshops start up on January 18th, and that's when uh, registration closes. Again, there are four different ways you can join. Uh, Drop-in, unlimited access, private coaching, or total scene immersion. Uh, I just think it's going to be a really, really fantastic opportunity for both actors uh, and audience, and uh, hope you can be there. Remember, go to workingactorsjourney.com slash virtual-workshops or workingactorsjourney.com, and you'll find it. Hope you can be part of the workshops, and either way, have a wonderful end of the year and happy start to 2021. I'm Nathan Agan and enjoy the journey.